Welcome to the Crystal Clear Podcast with Weekly Standard founder and editor-at-large, Bill Crystal. I'm Eric Felton. Hi, Bill. Eric, how are you? Fine, thanks. How are you doing? Just fine. Just good, fine. Good. So the week got off to something of an auspicious start with a, a presidential speech that actually seemed like a presidential speech. I guess it's a measure of how strange the times are that a very conventional speech seemed like a tremendous oddity. Right. This was President Trump's speech in Afghanistan, uh, a, a very normal president, mostly normal presidential speech, uh, uh, follow, following a rather normal decision-making process. Tough, it's a tough decision. That there are no good choices. Uh, but it seems that uh, serious people were weighing things seriously. The cabinet process worked. The National Security Council process worked. Uh, Secretary of Defense Mattis, Chief of Staff Kelly, Secretary of State Tillerson all weighed in. Some differences. Uh, Trump's instinct, as he said in the speech, was to get out. Uh, but he let himself be persuaded by his national security team. So one thought at the end of Monday night, you know what, on, on a big issue, and I agree with raising the troop numbers rather than getting out. So on a big issue, one thought, Monday night, uh, Trump has shown that he's persuadable. Uh, the national security team turns out to have real clout, uh, and one can prevent a kind of instinctive, understandable, I'd say in this case, but instinctive, let's just get out of there, uh, sentiment from becoming policy. And there was the serious sentiment that um, that being president presents you with realities that weigh on you and that you have to take seriously beyond the imperatives of the campaign. Right. Trump said that in the speech. And if I, people had told me before that being in the Oval Office might change my thinking, and it turned out to be true. I mean, it's a little bit Trumpy to sort of even say that, to go into that minor autobiographical detail and, <laughs> or to talk about what his instinct was, was really who cares. I mean, uh, but having said that, I took that as a good sign that he was acknowledging that he just can't govern by instinct or that his instincts could be wrong or incomplete. And I thought, well, gee, if he extends that to other areas, maybe there's still possibly, I didn't really think this, but I so some people thought possibly a chance for growth. I do think that at least what it showed is that on some major policy areas, one has a chance for a fairly normal process resulting in fairly normal policies. We'll see what happens now in terms of the execution of the policy. But you sort of have a two-track White House now with a president doing his own thing in speeches, rallies, tweets, and so forth, and a policy process that may produce reasonable outcomes in, in at least some cases. Usually... When a president goes out and does a campaign-style rally, he's either in the midst of a campaign right. or he's got some legislative initiative that he's trying to, to raise awareness of and rally support for. And yet the president seems to keep having these rallies like the one he had in Phoenix then on Tuesday that don't seem to have any particular point other than to be a rally. He loves them, obviously. They give him energy, people say, around him. And so with, I said Monday night, I think I said this on TV, and I think I tweeted it too, um, that it was foolish to have the rally in Phoenix Tuesday. It was. It, it ran the risk, and it turned out to be true, that he would sort of undo some of what he had gained on Monday night in terms of appearing presidential and serious and sober. 
uh, there was nothing possible to be gained from it. I mean, no, no one who was not previously a Trump supporter was going to turn on his TV uh, and decide to become a Trump supporter because of some rally in Phoenix. Uh, he would maybe reinforce his base, energize them a little. But for what? As you say, there's no pending legislation to call your senator or congressman on, and there's no election next week or next month or this year, uh, one run off in Alabama. So it really, uh, I mean, it's nice that Trump likes doing them, I guess. And I guess the that few thousand people who show up like being there and some people like watching it on TV. But uh, the price he paid for it was that he couldn't resist relitigating his Charlottesville statements where he omitted a couple of them in order to make it look as if he'd been more consistent than he had been. He couldn't resist taking shots at Arizona senators McCain and Flake, though he didn't mention them by name. He couldn't resist not doing something that any other president would have done visiting Arizona, whose senior senator had been diagnosed with brain cancer, what, three, four weeks before and was undergoing treatment. And uh, I think any president would have done this for any senator, but especially McCain, a former, you know, a, a hero and a presidential nominee. Uh, Trump had no grace note, no no sentence or two about since he was in Arizona, he wanted to express best wishes and hopes and prayers for, you know, for Senator McCain and his family or anything like that. Uh, you know, confidence that he would, you know, he's a tough guy and will fight as well as one can. I mean, the normal thing that any president would say, visiting any state, I think, where a senator had been uh, diagnosed like that, he didn't say. So one was reminded of his, of his sort of egotism and his gracelessness. Uh, he did attack uh, the senator's and so, and then he spent the rest of the week attacking other senators. So he didn't help we'll his chances. He didn't help his chances of getting legislation passed. Um, he defended the Charlottesville stuff. You know, something you'd think the White House would want to move away from as quickly as possible, and which he had sort of put to bed on the night before, within the beginning of the Afghanistan speech, with fairly graceful com- comments about national unity and so forth. So, it, I said on TV he should cancel it. Of course, he wasn't going to. He didn't. And it, I think it, you know, re- I was struck on people I talked to Wednesday morning here in Washington, Republicans, a couple of members I happened to talk to and some others um, who were really rattled by the Tuesday night Phoenix speech. It's sort of Charlottesville had been very damaging in their view. Uh, he'd sort of stabilized the situation, you might say, with the Afghanistan decision and the Afghanistan speech. And they thought, OK, maybe he learned something from Charlottesville. And then just to see him relitigate Charlottesville Tuesday night and do everything else, I think it was sort of, oh, it's, 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 it's as bad as we thought. One of the other things that was on display Tuesday night was the ongoing row with the fake news media. Yes. Now, um, far be it for me to suggest that uh, the, the mainstream liberal media is without fault. Uh, but what struck me about this ongoing um, uh, scuffle that the president has with the media is I don't understand what the strategy is. Is it just about shoring up the base? Maybe that is what he needs to do, but it's it's it, he's in trouble if that's what he needs at this point. But how is it in any way about expanding his audience? I don't see that it's an argument that wins him converts as opposed to just riling up the base. Yeah, you were, I think one of the first pieces you wrote for the Weekly Standard 20 years ago was a piece about CNN's coverage. I remember it well, a very good piece. People could look it up and a very harsh, strong criticism, deserved criticism of and CNN. And CNN had to retract the story that I wrote about, which right. was their, their smear of the army of having used sarin nerve gas against deserters. That's right. I've forgotten exactly which one it was. Yeah. So, 
I'm all, like you, sympathetic to critiques of the media. I mean, one problem is he doesn't ever specify exactly. I mean, if you could find, and there are instances of very bad coverage, you know, uh, mistakes, uh, news wildly exaggerated out of proportion. But if you stood up there and said, here, let me give you an example. You may be depending on New, New York Times to, to tell you what's going on, but here's what they say in this article. But he doesn't go to that trouble. He just denounces fake news generally. He mentions the Times, the Post, CNN. Uh, he, then he goes on about how they, they're not showing the crowd here at this rally. But that, of course, is the one thing they were doing. I mean, the, I was watching on CNN. The rally was live. And, of course, they're not idiots at CNN. The moment he starts saying, well, CNN's not showing you this crowd, they pan back and show the crowd. So he, he sort of picks a fight in a way that's not designed to convince anyone. Now, look, his base hates the liberal media. I mean, I'm struck by that. It's a little more than I expected, I've got to say, that it turns out to be a very effective way of rallying some percentage of the American electorate by just announcing and expressing contempt and loathing for the liberal media. I don't think it's, you know, you're not getting to 50% there, but you're getting to some core of his base that sort of gets uh, enthused when he does it. But I totally agree with you. It's inconceivable to me that it's built, it's growing his support at all. And I think there are probably some in between who sort of think, yeah, I kind of like Trump to be okay. I'm a conservative. I'm a Republican. But I don't know. It's getting a little out of control here. He's just you know, spending 10 minutes attacking news organizations. Again, if they do something particular wrong, then criticize them. But is he against the free press? It becomes easier for liberals to say Trump really just doesn't like having a free press. And I also wonder that a lot of these uh, rifts that he goes on aren't counterproductive. You know, he he elevates the media to make it his foil. Right. He doesn't seem to realize that as president, at least you would strike the pose that it's beneath your daily worry. You've got bigger fish to fry. And to make it appear that you're hanging on every word that comes out of the media makes the media seem a lot more important than they actually are. It makes you seem, I think, thin-skinned and also as if what you do a lot of the day is watch TV and get annoyed at it, which I do think people have this impression. <laughs> I, mean, I think presidents do that and politicians do that, as you and I know. But people have the impression about presidents and presidents like to give the impression that they're a little bit above that. They're busy getting classified briefings. They don't really watch TV full time. And so, you know, that's why you have surrogates do this. You have press secretaries and fine. And then they have the usual squabbles. But yeah, I agree. I think all it seems temporarily good, exciting. He's energizing his base. Ultimately, it, it diminishes any advantage he might have of being president and of exploiting a kind of stature gap that that gives you compared to members of Congress, media, per, you know, the talking heads on cable TV and so forth. And he just becomes another guy in the sort of, you know, in the mud throwing back and forth. He's pretty good at it, and he's got a huge number of supporters out there. So I suppose he wins in some short-term way, maybe against a particular news organization. But I, I think it does hurt his ability to ever increase his support. And, you know, you always have to come back to the fact that he started with 46% of the vote. Uh, he lost the popular vote. Any normal politician would have thought, I've got to increase my support. You have a chance to do it when you're inaugurated. He had a, a rockier um, uh, three months between election and inauguration than most president-elects, but it still had people were still open to giving him a chance if you looked at the numbers on, on inauguration day. Uh, he just hasn't taken advantage of that at all. And I also wonder about the strategy of things like calling out in a tweet today Bob Corker. Bob Corker's comments were days ago. That story came and went, and it just appears that, that the president 
gives new life to the story when he could have just let it ride and be gone. Yeah, I think so. And there I do think he's it's more serious in the sense that he's now res- responding to every Republican senator who he thinks uh, disses him. Uh, maybe he thinks he can muscle them into line. But, you know, these guys are senators and they are elected and they're elected by big margins in some cases in their own states. And they don't feel dependent particularly on Trump, I don't think. And so to the degree you antagonize them, you're just not going to get their vote on some key moment where, you know, the senator doesn't really like it much. But in the old days, maybe for a president of my party, I'll sort of suck it up and vote for him. A lot of senators did that, incidentally, for some Trump nominees they didn't like. McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, did a good job of keeping all these senators in line. They got almost everyone through with 50, 51, or 52 votes. That's not nothing, you know. But I really think after this, for the next waves of nominees, for other kinds of forms of legislation, even healthcare, where he failed, he did get 49 votes, you know. So if you're not going to get any Democrats and you got a 52-vote uh, uh, 52 Republican senators in the Senate, and you start antagonizing, you know, various ones of them. I think you're asking for trouble. Now, I think of the deeper thing that's going on here, which a lot of people are missing, uh, you know, in the psychodrama of he's insulted Corker or he and McConnell had a bad, nasty phone call, you know, where they cursed each other ten days ago or something. Um, uh, is that there's an actually there are actually going to be a lot of primaries. Uh, against Republican senators or for open seats uh, to, to win the Republican nomination, and in the in the House as well as the Senate, it looks like in many states, maybe most, in many competitive House districts, they're going to be there'll be a Trump supporting candidate, a Trump like candidate, let's say, whether Trump officially supports him or not, but someone who says I'm a Trump guy mm-hmm. against a more conventional establishment type. I think in Corker, I mean, one thing will ha- that is happening right now today in Tennessee is some state senator is saying, gee, I don't like Corker anyway. He's more moderate than I am, and he's been around forever, and I'm ambitious, and I'm a Trump guy. Why don't I just run as the Trump surrogate against Corker? And, you know, some of those people will have a chance. It's not as if there aren't half the Republican Party in these states isn't pro-Trump. I don't even know how this plays out. I don't know if it's good or bad for the party. I mean, most people would say it's bad to have a whole bunch of primaries, waste a lot of money, and might nominate some not-so-great candidates for the general election. Uh, But maybe it'll be energizing. Who knows? But I think what we haven't... People haven't sort of focused on enough. Is we're going to have it the next year is going to be a pretty wild year in the Republican Party, and that's partly a wild year. Yes. So Trump. All I'm saying is that the the wildness is not just Trump, and he's a problematic president, and he's picking fights. It's there's going to be a and and the more of these fights there are, they become sort of more than state by state fights. It becomes sort of a battle for the soul of the GOP, and maybe it ends up being inconclusive, but. I think it also puts pressure. If McConnell supports X and Trump supports Y, that's important in that particular state. But then it sort of spills over into other races and other parts of the relationship, into legislative questions and so forth. So I think the degree to which Trump is risking um, you know, a genuine split, maybe risking is the wrong word. Maybe he wants it. He thinks ultimately he'll win this fight. He'll be more popular than the congressional Republicans. Maybe he wants to separate himself from the congressional Republicans. But I think the effect of all this will be a greater separation of the congressional Republicans from Trump than people now expect. I don't think the president has any idea how good he has it having a Republican House right. and a Republican Senate. The The way in which he's gone after Republican lawmakers suggests to me that he doesn't realize that the reason he's not in really bad shape at this point is because he has had them as a bulwark. I mean. This, the second Democrats get control of the House, 
not only is there the prospect of a premature impeachment effort, but you also will see at the very least um, you know, waves of investigations and subpoenas being issued. The mere fact that the president hasn't had to deal with that other than the special counsel, but hasn't had to deal with that from the Hill, has been tremendously to his advantage, and he doesn't seem to understand it. Yeah, he resents the fact that there are these intelligence committees looking at Russia, but that's pretty, that's limited, I'd say. And, and, and yes, it's only a tiny bit of what could happen if you really get uh, House committees controlled by Democrats looking into, let's look at the business relationships that Jared and Ivanka have. Let's look at everyone's travel. Let's look at, every, you know, I mean, it, it can be miserable, even in an administration that's more careful about these things than one has a sense the Trump administration is. So I very much agree with you. Uh, I think he has a kind of belief that he can, I think deep down, though, he thinks maybe it doesn't hurt him to separate himself from these unpopular congressional Republicans. I guess it's conceivable he can end up being running in a way as a kind of almost independent candidate against both parties in 2020. Um, but what's, what is it to, to win at this end? Is, is the goal to get an agenda accomplished or is winning simply getting reelected in 2020? I think winning is winning. I mean, for Trump, you know, it's not, it's neither actually. I mean, I'm not sure he's being rational about getting reelected in 2020 either. He's certainly not being rational, in my view, about just getting legislation passed. It's showing who's top dog, you know. It's uh, humiliating some opponents. It's having big rallies, and um, I think he does suspect deep down that Republicans may do poorly in 2018, and he he wants not to be blamed. Trump seems very thin-skinned and very sensitive about being blamed about things, and in that respect. Maybe for him, shifting the blame is more important than any concrete result. But shifting blame is stra- is having a strategy for how you lose, not a strategy for winning. Yeah, that's well said. So thin-skinned, how do you think the uh, Financial Times interview with uh, Gary Cohn is uh, getting under the president's skin? You know, it's a good question. I mean, Cohn had been quiet when the president made his Charlottesville comments and uh, came under some pressure, apparently, from everyone from family members to others to separate himself, denounce himself, and now he has. Um, Cohen is apparently, you know, was said to be close to the president. Uh, I don't think, not, not that close before the election, but close in the White House. He's not a cabinet secretary. He's a member of the White House senior staff. I think the Cohen thing is interesting. I mean, he's, Trump is used to the national security guys sort of being different from him and checking him, I suspect. A lot of them are generals. He seems to have respect for that. Whether some guy who was head of Goldman Sachs but doesn't have the standing of being a four-star general and and is, you know, going to advance Trump's economic plan, presumably, but isn't indispensable in any way, uh, in the way that I would say Kelly and McMaster probably are at this point, whether how Trump puts up with what Cohen has done will, will be interesting to see. That's it for the Crystal Clear Podcast. Be sure to tune in every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much, Bill. Thanks, Eric.